would do rentals where we talk about films that we think have not had the limelight they should have had back in the day or maybe were even very popular but kind of were forgotten about. I'm Matthew Shuffman. And I'm Mike Reyes. And today we're here to talk about this, not the seance, excuse me, just seance. It's cleaner. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, you know what, you don't want to make a seance cooler? Just drop the the, it's cleaner. Seance and the guest, because today our guest is writer and then also director on seance, Simon Barrett. And I am so excited. Uh, I, th- I actually think this is my first pick that that's up. Is it? I don't know. I, I have to go back and look at the list. I mean, I'm, I'm not mentioning it as like a, a, a petty thing. Like, oh, it's my first pick. Hmm. But just I'm, I'm excited that this, that, especially because it's The Guest, which, uh, you know, it's a type of movie that is indeed an overdue rental. And if you are a, an aficionado of films that are overdue rentals, Hit us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals, on Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, and then through email on Overdue Rentals at gmail.com. Yes. And again, we, we are going to talk about both films because Seance does come out on, May, on Friday, May 21st, and it is Simon's directorial debut. Uh, Mike, why don't you just give us a rundown of what the film's about? Sure. Well, Seance is about a boarding school of young women, it's a young women's boarding school where mysterious circumstances seem to be befalling some of the students. And we are following a young girl named Camille, who, if I'm not mistaken, is played by Suki Waterhouse. Correct. Who is sort of stumbling into this world just as things seem to be heating up on campus. Yes, and while a lot of that does sound like Suspiria, and I'm sure there, there's definitely influences there, this is not Suspiria. Oh no. Original or remake. <laughs> No, no, this is, this, this is a, a, Seance is a very quiet, personal movie that does have a mystery angle, that has a supernatural angle. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, is, it is a mix of all of those things that cohesively works, but is very entertaining. But more importantly, we do have Simon here to talk about The Guest, which was, just like you said, a big choice of yours to talk about as an overdue rental, which is available to watch on Netflix. So before... If you haven't seen it and you want to watch it before you listen to the rest of the episode, hit pause, go watch it. It's not like it's three hours long. Come back, listen to, listen to what we got to say. Exactly. And a uh, quick rundown on the guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mysterious stranger comes into a family's life and mysterious circumstances seem to befall them. And that mysterious stranger is played by Dan Stevens. Uh, it, it's funny because I was doing the research for this episode. I was looking at Simon Barrett's comments about the guest and he based, I forget if it was Simon Barrett or Adam Wingert that said it. They're like, I love movies where a mysterious stranger, stranger wanders into town. And they said it for the guest. They said it for your next, but Simon definitely continues it with seance. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's funny too, because you did mention, because now that you say it, this is technically, I guess, your first real pick, because this is the first time I think for any of our episodes where this is something that you love that you'd seen before, which I actually had to catch up. I had, I had never seen the guest until, until we got ready to do this. So weird. Oh, okay. So, so do we want to save your, your thoughts on the film and get Simon in here? Let's, I think, I think no matter what, who cares about my thoughts? Let's get Simon in here and see what he has to say. Oh, I can't wait, but I do. I want to hear your thoughts. I care. I'm, I'm an attentive podcast co-host. Anyway. Overdue Rentals, scene six, episode six, Simon Barrett, 
Come on down. Welcome to Overdue Rentals. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, well, let, I mean, let's just jump into it, though, because we got a lot of talk about. So, you know, even though you're still the writer, what made Seance the right thing for your directorial feature debut? Well, I guess, I guess it's to be determined whether it was the right thing for my feature directorial debut. Uh, you know, the answer is that it was a story that I was just, like, particularly passionate about, and I, I just didn't want anyone else to direct. Um, and I thought I could handle it because it was a small genre movie and it felt like the right move. Um, I'd always planned to direct. I mean, that's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, I went to uh, film school and concentrated actually on cinematography, um, actually got my degree in photography um, it, rather than any kind of other, rather than like directing or screenwriting or anything like that, because I, I was trying to focus on the like technical side of filmmaking because I thought that's what I needed to learn in order to make myself, you know, a good independent filmmaker, you know, to kind of go the Robert Rodriguez route which I thought was probably my best option just growing up where I, where I did and with the resources that I had. Um, so, you know, but then I, then I, I wrote a low budget horror movie. This is back in 2002 and for myself to direct and um, sent it to a friend to see if he'd act in it. And he was working for a company that did um, negative pickup arrangement kind of productions for Sony. And he was like, Hey, we'll make this, but you know, obviously you're not directing it. I was like, Oh, deal. Um, and, and, you know, and I genuinely wasn't fishing. I actually didn't even know he did that for a job. I sincerely was trying to cast him. I know that probably sounds like I was playing some sneaky move, but I sincerely thought we were going to make this in Missouri for like 60 grand. It ended up filming in Alabama for 1.5 million. Uh, and I met Adam Wingard on the set of that film and ended up having a pretty great collaborative relationship that we're continuing to this day. And for a long time, that relationship was Adam directs and edits and I write and produce. And, but once we started getting real budgets, there really wasn't much for me to do anymore. You know, it was, it was, it was the guest it was the first time that I was ever on a film set. Uh, and I was like, this is what it's like being the writer. I'm mm -hmm. watching Dan Stevens and Micah Monroe and Leland Orser do a scene and it's going fine. And I have nothing to say. Like, I have no reason to be here. I'm just sitting at the monitor, eating craft services, watching my dialogue get spoken by talented actors. And Adam doesn't need me here. You know, no one needs me here. Dan doesn't need me here. He knows what he's doing. You know, I, I'm not giving anyone any direction. And that was when I was kind of like, well, you know, and I knew I knew we had Blair Witch lined up. And I, but I also knew, you know, Adam was thinking of a kind of bigger project after that. And, you know, which ended up being Death Note. And I knew that just regardless of whether it was Death Note, Godzilla versus Kong, whatever, it wasn't going to be that easy for him to say. And I want Simon Barrett to write this, um, you know, given his body of work. Uh, so I kind of knew that we were going a little bit our separate ways for at least a bit with a couple projects, which was fine, because I really wanted to direct something and, and get back in that chair. So so that was when I started. I had projects that I wanted to direct myself, but, you know, by the time, you know, I looked at those scripts, I, I wasn't excited about them anymore. And and it was around the time that we were doing, um, you know, the guests that I started thinking about seance. And then it was right on the, around the time that we actually were making Blair Witch that I started really writing it. Um, and, and just kind of thinking like, well, you know, it's time for me to do one of these kind of mystery horror movies that I love and that I kind of grew up with. Um, and that, you know, even as a child were kind of my favorite things. Um, like a lot of kids, you know, my version of that at the time was, you know, very Scooby-Doo oriented, very Nancy Drew case files, but it's not like seance isn't like those things. <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty in that, in that genre of, of, you know, horror, Nancy Drew, uh, Scooby-Doo world. Um, you know, and so, uh, so yeah, so it was just a kind of, it was just like a personal thing. I'd wanted to direct forever and Adam was going off to do Death Note and I was like, well, how hard can it really be 
for me to raise a couple million to do a horror movie with my, my body of work and all my stuff's been profitable. And it took me about five years. <laughs> um, and then and then I managed to make the film. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Scooby-Doo and, and the Nancy Drew mysteries because you definitely get that vibe from Seance, but also there's sort of like a very gothic sort of tradition, which I guess when you think about it, those Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew were kind of one step removed from the gothic tradition. Like I kept thinking back to Crimson Peak while watching this because oh, I, I love I, Crimson well, Peak. Yes. Oh, yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it for the audience, but something that you do in this movie is very much Crimson Peak's approach to the supernatural. Yeah, I'm. I'm like. I, I guess I'm a weird Guillermo del Toro fan. He's a lovely guy. He's he's been he's been he's been very kind to me. Like the few times I've met him, but like I, you know, Devil's Backbone and Crimson Peak are like the kind of stuff that I wish he would just do nonstop. And Crimson Peak especially is something that I think he would prefer to not repeat. Um, but but I thought that movie was so perfect and cool. And yeah, it, you'll notice in Seance there's a point where someone uses a book uh, to to evade getting stabbed. It's a copy of Wuthering Heights. You know, it, it, I, I knew that like we were kind of working in that like gothic wheelhouse a little bit. Um, I don't know, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 to me, like Scooby-Doo and Suspiria and, and then there were none and Scream are all like kind of in the same world, like like Gialli and Slashers and Murder Mysteries. They all kind of fuse together in my brain, you know. Ghost stories are always usually murder mysteries. You're usually trying to find out, you know, who killed the person who's who's now dead. Um, and you know, and that was just like my favorite thing, you know, as a kid. And and it's still, you know, when I read for fun, I usually read murder mysteries, um, usually fairly old ones. But you know, there's a few contemporary writers I enjoy. And you know, and and it still is one of those things that I, I it, it, it was one of the few things that like gives me pleasure just to consume as a fan. So I, you know, as a filmmaker, I think that's always going to be what I'm drawn to is, is trying to kind of deliver the same sense of surprise that I enjoy as a viewer. But, you know, but at the same time, it's time to start acknowledging that I have over the years developed a very specific like weakness as a writer, which is these like mysterious stranger slashers that lead to like final monologues. Like I just need to like quit doing it because I've done it like three times now and, it, and I can't do it anymore. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but I really wanted Seance to be this companion piece even though Adam wasn't directing it, and I hope it's not like arrogant, you know, he is an EP on Seance, but like, even though Adam wasn't directing it, I wanted Seance to feel of a piece with your next and the guest, because I kind of felt like I still had something I wanted to say about that kind of story, and I just wanted a happier version of it, um, and, and you know, and so that, that you know, that was that, but yeah, very Scooby-Doo-esque, uh, uh, certainly approached like dialogue at times. Oh, yeah, and that passion just, I feel it. I felt it propel me through the movie because I knew it, you know, it's a murder mystery, but I didn't find myself trying to figure it out as much because I liked watching these characters and still trying to ascertain, wait, how supernatural is this? And what, like, what, what is the world doing here? Like there's enough to puzzle around within there where you, if you really want to just focus on it as a straight up murder mystery, you can, that's great. But there's so many other delicious little morsels to kind of pick through that just tie it all together. I mean, the, the one of the best things, if you're making a murder mystery, Knives Out does this pretty well, I thought. Like, um, you know, it, one of the best things you can honestly just do is just entertain people so they're not thinking about it. Um, like, like if you're, it, it's, it's AJ Bowen in your next, you know, he leaves the movie at a certain point and we're always like, are people not gonna wonder where he went and why he's just not in the movie anymore? He was kind of one of the main characters and he just left. 
it's pretty obvious we're saying we're setting them up but no one thinks about it because the movie's just always doing different things that are just distracting you so then when he shows up and then you're like oh yeah that's right that guy and you're not like oh yeah like i knew it was him because who else could it be you're just misdirected and you know so seance like one of my goals with it honestly was to get it under 90 minutes without credits because i knew that if it didn't function as a murder mystery like 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 technically which murder mysteries are pretty hard to to pull off and i'm not certain i did a good job with this one but i know i could at least get it short enough that people wouldn't really notice um and 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 that's kind of it too it's like as long as the film's always doing things that are entertaining and giving you other stuff to think about then you're not as inclined to pick it apart you know and I thought Scream, uh, you know, Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson's Scream, you know, is obviously a classic and et cetera. But, you know, it, it's it's the thing that film I felt does best and smartest besides creating kind of a cool atmosphere um, where where you kind of get that teenage morbidity, you know, like, like energy kind of going, um, it, it is that it like presents its red herrings very efficiently. It's like, it, it, it just in like a little moment, you'll be kind of like, oh wait, maybe that person's the killer. Or it'll just like show a character's boots unnecessarily. And you'll be like, wait, are those the boots? Should I have been paying attention to that? You know, Wes Craven's, you know, was obviously a very brilliant director, but that's like the little stuff that you realize that's not necessarily like the smartest thing. It's just making me think, it's just, it's just it, I'm being redirected. Like, 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 it's like, it's like when you show me a frame and you direct my eye to a corner of it, you know, the scream is just always misdirecting you. It's just always like, look over here, look over here. Cause ultimately the mystery and scream doesn't really make any sense. Like Skeet Ulrich is mad for some reason and Matthew Lillard's just bored. doesn't matter. It's fantastic. It's, you know, it's an A plus masterpiece of a film because by the time you get there, you're just like, oh, it was them. That's cool. Like, like that makes sense. Like it was, too, you know, and, and so I, I, you know I always just thought that was really smart but you know, if scream was two and a half hours long it wouldn't have the same impact, you know? Though it is not a short movie, actually, but that's because those guys are really quite gifted. You, you had mentioned that this is sort of, in a way, a companion piece with your next and the guests. And I'm wondering where also maybe some of your fascination fits in with both on the very surface level and then deeper level of the idea of masks. You know, again, just for purveying what we see on screen, but also maybe that old deeper, you know, American Psycho feel of what's behind everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the, the kind of theme of this tr trilogy, if it is a trilogy, is is these kind of, you know, it's this mysterious stranger slasher John Hughes thing, um, you know, where they're all kind of John Hughes movies, but there's someone lying, you know, in the lead role. And, and, and I do think that, you know, I think the inherent unknowability of other people is, is kind of a fascinating thing to explore. Um, and I also, you know, I worked as a private investigator for a very long time. And when I was doing that, my job was lying to people, you know, really 24 seven, that's really the job, you know, you call it pretexting um, or coming up with a pretext, but you're just lying. And, and you know, I always kind of prided myself on my honesty as I, before I did that as, as a person, or I, at least I tried to, um, you know, as a teenager, so I was probably just an asshole. But, you know, but when I started doing PI work, you know, when I was 20, 21, um, I kind of compartmentalized my life really quickly I was just, well I'll lie all the time at my job but I'll be honest you know in my personal life and you know that works you know but you, but you do feel still strange you know about what you're doing and especially you know in that line of work where I had to kind of pretend to be an expert of fields that I didn't understand and I learned to kind of assimilate socially very very quickly um you know I, I found that um you know daunting 
uh, in a lot of ways. And, and I think it did probably have some kind of psychological impact on me. So, you know, I have kind of, I think in, in with these films tried to kind of process something about, you know, like these films where no one is really telling the truth about who they are. But I guess it was important to me that Seance be kind of a happier version of that mm. um, than, than Your Next or The Guest, which are both fairly dark in their messages. Um, you know, fairly dark, fairly cynical films. Not that Seance is lacking in cynicism necessarily, but, but it's, you know, it's a slightly more optimistic approach to its characters than, than those movies. Um, so, you know, so I, I do think like those subjects of like betrayal and, and, and you know, having protagonists, if you could consider really kind of Micah Monroe's character of, of Anna Peterson as the protagonist of the guest, but Dan Stevens as David is really driving the story. You know, he's the more active kind of character. And, you know, he's, he's an enigma basically up until the end. Um, and I, I think there is something interesting about having mysterious lead characters, you know, in that Clint Eastwood way um, and, and just exploring things through that. But, you know, obviously that gives you the chance to have both an antagonist and protagonist who are both kind of mysterious and unknown to the viewer. And I, I think there's something just interesting exploring like how people kind of uh, are dishonest to each other and, and to ourselves. Um, but, you know, I don't have anything to say about that. I don't think it's necessarily good or bad. I just think it's part of being a human. Is there is there a script already written somewhere based on what happened in your real life as a PI? No, I mean, it wasn't very interesting. But I, I would say that I've processed that through mostly seance. Mm. Um, I would say seance is like my PI movie. Um, you know, like, like that's, that was why I felt like I needed to tell that story. It's obviously like pretty steeped in metaphor, but you know, that's, that's like, that's, that's kind of, I think like, like why I, I was kind of drawn to these sorts of characters during this kind of early phase, uh, you know, of, of, of what I want to be directing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, on top of just the Gothic beauty and the, the, the mystery of it all there is some really brutal action. Like it doesn't take long before there's like a prison fight in the lunch hall. And then I, I have to applaud you on the light bulb kill towards the end, because that was, that, that was a thing of beauty. I'm just, you know, as someone that's, I'm, I'm kind of sick in my own little way when it comes to horror movies and that it didn't betray the atmosphere that the movie set up and it didn't feel gratuitous, but at the same time, it was just enough to kind of, to, to kind of get, you know, horror fans going. Uh, was there any sort of struggle in balancing, like putting in those sorts of moments along with this really like, it, for the most part, this is a very quiet film and very personal. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I, I did a weird thing again that like, I, that like to <laughs> me totally doesn't feel weird that like to me totally makes sense, but, but I'm now realizing is kind of strange. Like, and I want to be careful when I talk about this because I don't want people to kind of go into seance, like you said, expecting like a gore fest because then they'll be totally, you know, if they go in expecting your next even, which isn't even that gory a film by most people's standards, but, you know, at least a lot of people die in it. Um, seance is much more sedate and slow paced and, and mellow. Um, but, you know, I knew, I, I would say that, that it, you know, it, it is a tonal thing, right? It's, it's, it's a tricky thing. You have to, if you're going to kill someone brutally on screen, but you want the movie to be fun and not punishing, you know, I wasn't trying to make like martyrs. Um, I wanted this to be an enjoyable film, but I wanted it to be in this like murder mystery slash or wheel. So I knew I had to kind of deliver, right. You know, like on some bloodletting or people were going to be fairly disappointed by this film, 
and I wanted to anyway, because that's kind of my sensibility. But I also didn't want a bunch of a movie about a bunch of young women being brutally killed on screen, because by and large, that's kind of not that fun tonally. Um, it depends on kind of how and why you're doing it. it. Obviously, can be a blast. I mean, I would say that the odd-numbered Final Destination films are probably the most important works of our lifetime. But you know, but that's a different thing tonally. Um, you know, like like you can have brutal killings and still have a fun, good-hearted film. In other words, but it's a tricky thing. It's 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 a balancing act. So I kind of wanted people to be able. How should I put this? I wanted the violence in the film to feel kind of slapstick. And, and enjoyable in the tone of the movie, what it was doing, which meant that it had to be directed towards certain characters at certain times where you would accept it. Um, the metaphor I use for this, and, and that we're spoiling the hell out of your next year for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I'll just keep doing it. It's, it's when Sharni Vincent stabs AJ Bowen in the eye at the end of your next. He's unarmed. She's basically, we've established out the film, she can absolutely dominate him physically. He's no match for her. She stabs an unarmed guy and the audience is like, yes, that was the correct choice. Good job. <laughs> and it's because you don't like him and you do like her. And, and all these factors, all these, all these circumstantial factors allow you, the viewer, to enjoy that moment as opposed to being like, well, she's a murderer now. Um, which was, which, you know, we were concerned about when we tested the movie. We were like, are people going to buy her killing him? And are people going to be willing to accept this? Turned out audiences had no issues with it. So Seance is trying to do a somewhat similar thing. Uh, you know, there's there's earlier killings in the film where I go very non-violent and, and kind of they're a bit off screen. Um, and part of that was budget. Um, I really could only afford a couple a couple of these like like gore set pieces that take a lot of time and planning. I really didn't have that much money to to do that with everyone who died in the script. Um, and and then but part of it is tone. It's 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 you know these are these are these are not evil characters necessarily. And, and I, I have a lot of affection for the characters that I write. I tend to, you know, have that kind of relationship as a writer where you just kind of see what they do sometimes. And, and, that's, and that's how you find out what the scene is, you know? And so uh, I didn't want to make a cruel or mean-spirited slasher. I knew that, but how do you define that? That's a personal thing. I, I could probably say to you like, you know, oh, I love, you know, uh, this movie but this movie I consider like immoral or it's wrong and, and you'd be like well I feel completely the opposite way about that you know what what makes something torture porn in the parlance of the early aughts you know when we were mm -hmm. talking about films like the Saw and Hostel series you know what pushes that into gratuity for some people but other people think like the film has a great message and I personally think like the Hostel movies are pretty great you know and so like yeah, like, yeah I mean you know so so you know so these are like these this, this is personal sensibility. I personally didn't, I wanted to make a movie that had violence that didn't feel cruel. And so it needed to have this, like, it needed to land in a certain way. And, uh, you know, I, I just really hope people aren't disappointed by that. You know, I, 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 I really don't know, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it makes a strange choice. Um, and it was a choice that, you know, I did have to defend at one point in the editing room, but it just felt uh, kind of right to me. Oh even keeping it totally light in those senses, it still felt like I was trying, you were trying to disorient me with these very kind of anamorphic wide angles a lot of times that is trying to make me kind of feel une uneven. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, how, how, you know, there's, there's two factors there, you know, one with a film like Seance, you know, where you're hiding things from the audience, hiding clues and planting clues, you do always want to shoot it in a way where people are searching the frame for information because that's, kind of the feeling, the experience of watching the film, you want, you know, to work on a shot by shot level. So that's why I used a very like shallow depth of field. 
So we're always like really kind of precisely controlling um, where the eye is. Um, but also this was a very low budget movie and I didn't want it to look cheap. So I knew we had to make a choice. So working with director of photography, uh, Kareem Hussein, who shot Possessor, um, terrific DP uh, and, and a longtime good friend of mine, um, basically agreed to do this movie kind of as a favor. Um, and, you know, we just started talking at an early stage where like, you know, we just can't have this look boring. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a low budget slasher movie. It can't look like a low budget slasher movie or that's the end of my career, you know? So, so, you know, so we talked about, you know, Giallos and Jose Larez and like certain directors that, you know, only really Kareem would know to even well enough to even be conversant in their work. And, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, there is, you know, you want to make your film have, you know, a, a visual style that fits the material, you know, and, but also ideally, you know, doesn't make the film look too strange or stylized. There are a couple shots where we went with the anamorphic thing where I'm just like, oh, this is like almost too much. It's like too flared out, but, you know, but again, it's a very low budget film and the, the, the alternatives were to maybe reveal some of the cheapness to some of those moments and, you know, I had amazing production designer, Marge Fihiri, but we we knew we had limited things, you know, in front of the camera. And so, you know, so a choice had to be made. Well, it's funny because on a, a recent episode that we had done, uh, we were talking with another filmmaker about, he was on a very like, very indie, low budget sort of approach. Like he was basically operating everything himself, pretty much. And we talked, uh, uh, that cheapness can sometimes help with the tone because if you frame it a certain way, it just sort of sets the expectation of the universe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many, like, how many brilliant, like, decisions by, you know, amazing directors have just been made because they couldn't figure out a way to get out of a scene. So they're like, okay, I'll just do this in one, or maybe I'll just, for some reason, this entire scene will just be close-ups of the character's hands mm -hmm. or something like that. And then you watch it, you're like, wow, this is brilliant, you know? Um, yeah. No, I mean, look, I, 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 I've never worked with a, with a, you know, a budget over $5 million in my entire career. Um, looks like Adam and I are, are, are moving on to somewhat greener pastures. He got there first, um, which, you know, I, I, I don't begrudge him that. I'm very delighted uh, with what he's been doing. Um, but, you know, so I, it looks like we'll be on bigger, you know, bigger projects soon. But, you know, I, I like making small movies and I like making weird, small, original, independent films. And I think, you know, within that, the movie, the movie tells you what it is. When you're making an, an indie movie, and I don't know if this is true with like a $200 million movie, but I suspect it's true no matter what. So I'm just gonna say when you're making a movie, like what the process of directing a film really is, is just a process of like coming up with a vision and then watching that vision just implode, like moment by moment, day after day, onset as just like everything isn't quite the way you pictured it um so even if things are going well you're just kind of you're always kind of wrapping your head around like okay so okay so to get it so this is like this now and we're going to block it like this um then to get out of this i'm probably going to need a shot of this you know so you can plan and shot list you know as much as you want and you know i've never really been able to afford storyboards that'd be nice mm -hmm. but like um maybe next time but like, but you know, but you can shot list as much as you want, but ultimately you have to be spontaneous. And that's what low budget filmmaking gets you is because low budget filmmaking, you, it's just that you have to walk in and just be like, okay, that looks cool. That looks cool. Set them here. We'll do this like this. Okay, we got to go there. This place is about to open. Their customers are waiting outside. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, because you're just always stealing your locations and getting the cops called on you and stuff. 
So, you know, coming from that kind of background of like, like literally, you know, when we were doing our VHS wraparound, we were getting the cops called on us all the time. So we're just breaking into places and filming in them, um, which, you know, so it, it actually makes a fair amount of sense when you put it that way. But, but you know, but like, then you go to Seance, which was, you know, a full union production. I say low budget, but, you know, by the standards of Adam's and my earlier work, Seance is a huge budget movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so I had resources, um, but you still have that kind of scrappy approach of just like, what is, th what is this? Okay, I have a fight scene that I have to do in four hours. I have like three pages of dialogue in a fight scene that I have four hours to do in this room with like, 20 you know young actors and you know what is the scene now you know because because i can't get back in this location i have four hours to get it i can't do any overtime because we can't afford it you know and that's that's when you that's when not only do you like kind of find out what directing really is but also you find out like sometimes what the scene is you're like oh this isn't what i thought it was but now it's this and this is so much like cooler and more interesting and you know so I think like like directing is you always have to have a vision, but you just always have to like, as that vision just systematically starts getting destroyed during production, you always just have to be like adapting it and, and figuring out, you know, what, what is it going to be now when, when this is done, when the actors and the crew and everyone's had their input, you know? Well, I mean, a lot of people, and this is not just us, I mean, I think every time somebody talks to Dan Stevens, they ask, when are we going to get a guest sequel? So if that were to be the case, do you say, well, let's do it with a bigger budget? Or it's like, no, I got to do it at this budget because it's got to look the same. Well, I mean, in that hypothetical scenario, I think you do always want to do it with a bigger budget because people are looking for more generally. Um, we could not get a budget to make the guest two. That would be half the budget of the guest one, you know, because it didn't make money. Um, so, you know, so, so there's that. So in that particular instance, uh, different calculations would have to be made entirely because uh, no one actually would want to finance that film. Um, which is uh, part of the conversation that people tend to leave out. <laughs> um, yeah, you never but, uh, know. After 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 every seance does well and everything else goes well, it could be let's revisit the guest. Maybe, but you know, I I'd be hesitant to do that, and 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 I'll and I'll say I'll say why, uh, which is you know because I do think sequels do tend to need a certain degree of escalation um, of of the kind of the original premise, and and you kind of do want to see the furthering, if not necessarily the like embiggening. Uh, I think I just used a fake like Simpsons word there, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, of, of the premise, um, you know, and, and so that would work interestingly for the guests, but I think it would be the wrong direction probably for that material. And beyond that, you know, the problem with making a sequel to the guest, beyond the fact that the amount of people who really want it would not be make it a commercially viable prospect. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty confident about those numbers. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but it's more that just like, how do we live up to what people have in their imaginations and expectations now? Uh, Adam and I are kind of continuing to do something in the guest world that's kind of like something like that. I mean, that sounds so pretentious that a guest world because it's just New Mexico, but like, you know, you know what I mean? We're going to do another thing with, with you know, some of those characters, um, but it's not going to be, I think, what anyone uh, expects. And I think that's the right approach because I think there's no way I could deliver a sequel to The Guest or your next at this stage that wouldn't disappoint people. And to a certain extent, I think the legacies of those films and the reason people love them is because they don't have sequels and they clearly weren't successful. And so they feel more like they're yours, you know, like, like, like people who have a fan relationship with The Guest, um, you know, among other things, they can reach out to Adam and me on social media and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be like, oh yeah, we did our best, glad you liked it. 
you know, because because it, it, it's 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 just like it, it's it's known that it's not like a, a mainstream success, um, in that people didn't really respond to it at the time, and I think that's why people kind of like it more now. Um, I hope that doesn't happen with Seance. I'd really like it actually if people just were like, oh, that's a good movie, and I was able to skip the part where people don't like it. But you know, if 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 but worst case scenario, if what happens to like you know every film I work on is some kind of like the guest type situation where people just like discover a few years later that they thought the film was amusing. That's great. But I think the worst thing you can do as a filmmaker is like, think that means you should double down on something and stop being original. And, 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 and I also think at a certain point, I, it, it starts to feel exploitive um, of your fans. Um, you know, I don't want to keep being like, like, like here's more guest content. Like, like you, know, you want this, like, like gobble it up. Here's, here's your trough full of guest ideas you swine um no i want to be like here's my new original movie and if you like the guest hopefully you like this one too um hollywood doesn't want to make movies that way hollywood would much rather actually make a movie a sequel to the guest because they at least could look at the numbers and know what that is yeah. um you know original movies are much harder to get made than non-original ones obviously but you know that's 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 the that's the project so yeah, you don't want to turn the guest into like a Canon Films production where it's like every year you've got a new one coming out and David's in Malaysia today and David's in, you know, the next uh, country we could afford in this one. Well, and... the thing is, we would, have, we would have loved to have done that, you know, back <laughs> back when it first came out. We would have loved like nothing more than to crank out a guest sequel every year until it was like completely dead. But, you know, but again, I think I think it is a lot of my favorite films are these kind of standalone unique movies, um, you know, that that maybe didn't totally hit at the time. And, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, when it comes to, you know, bigger, more mainstream films, like Adam and I are doing um, Face Off 2 and Thundercats. And, you know, we're trying to make those not like cult movies, <laughs> you know, we want to make those movies that people enjoy. And I think Adam kind of maybe cracked the code with his uh, Godzilla versus Kong movie. People seem to be enjoying that one on the front end for once. So, you know, we're going to keep, trying to do that sort of thing but you know at, at the end of the day we have kind of different sensibilities than most filmmakers and i think um you know all success really affords you is the ability to keep making these unique films and if we didn't take advantage of that then what was the point of achieving the success to begin with you know all we want to do kind of is just keep working and making you know cool unique movies so you know i i really don't think we we don't even really have any like life or career goals beyond that we just kind of enjoy doing it and so you know i think ideally that will hopefully guide us well but you know with a film like seance and the guest you know which are these kind of smaller stranger movies you do you do have to just wonder what what is the legacy of this you know will will people find this movie in 10 years you know i don't know will it be the next speed racer because you know everybody found that pretty late well, yeah most they did, people but found again, it pretty late most people did. Yeah, I actually admit I, I didn't see it in theaters either, which is funny because I, 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 just, I just didn't like Speed Racer. I didn't realize the Wachowskis were doing another one of the, you know, their brilliant things. So I sat it out and waited for video and totally regretted it when I saw it because it is one of those movies where, you know, where if it had been a success, cinema would probably look different than it does now. But, you know, but that's fine. I mean, you know, there's, there's always movies like that. If John Carpenter's The Thing had been a success, we'd probably have a half dozen to you know, actually it's one of those movies where like like John Carpenter is the thing where like if it was success we'd probably have like 300 more great movies but because it wasn't we just have the thing and and you know that maybe that's okay you know I, I don't know I, I I have 
I think it's kind of impossible for filmmakers to be objective about their work in this sense. Mm. Um, I actually have no concept of whether people like anything that I work on. Um, it just seems like some people do, and that's nice. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, well, I'm glad you mentioned Face Off, because first of all, when I heard you and Adam were doing the sequel, I blew my mind, because it's like, okay, that's, well, first when they thought, oh, it's a remake, it's like, okay, I'd love to see what they're going to do with that. Then they're like, no, direct sequel. It's like, oh, oh, you're daring me. You are daring me to want this. And yeah. the thing was around that time, I also had, I happened to watch The Guest and Face Off around the same time because I was- Oh waiting. yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're the same, yeah. Well, the whole so, thing is my, my whole thing is watching The Guest again after Face Off, it felt like part of the movie is a feature length retelling of- The Butterfly Knife, yeah. What? The Butterfly Knife. It is the yes. same, the Butterfly Knife has the same arc in both films, the character of the Butterfly Knife. Yes, yeah, but, no, I, I don't, I'm shocked that no one has ever picked up on that. People always talk about <laughs> Halloween and Terminator 2 and stuff, uh, Halloween 3 and Terminator 2, and but nobody ever mentions Face Off, even though it's like literally the exact same story, basically up, up to and including how the weapon is used against the person who yes! gave it. Like it's 100% it's, it's the same thing uh, from Face Off. So, I mean, that actually is my real answer is like, we're not doing a sequel to The Guest because we're doing a sequel to Face Off. <laughs> and that will probably scratch that itch for a lot of people, quite honestly, because, you know, we are, you know, committed to doing obviously an R-rated, like real legit Face Off sequel. Um, I mean, it was kind of a confusing thing. I think I, I'm not too, my understanding is there've been many development processes trying to get another Face Off going um, over the years, but that I think, in that it was developed as a remake for a, a long time. And that's, I think, where the confusion came from. Um, no one was like, it's not like Adam and I took a meeting and they were like, hey, how would you guys like to do face-off? And we're like, sure, like, like here's a bag with a, with a dollar symbol on it, fill it up and, you know, we'll see. No, it was like, we actively for a year and a half aggressively pitched face-off to, like to, a, to the studio, to Neil Moritz, um you know to, to like like aggressively like once a month adam and i would have these like two and a half hour phone calls with these executives where we would just try to explain to them what our pitch was because no one could understand what we were talking about because once the faces switch it becomes really hard to keep track of who's who um and so eventually we basically convinced the studio to allow us to write a treatment um and then they understood what we were pitching and they were like okay fine you can write a script but but it was really like it's not like this existed prior to us pitching it. It, it. it was our idea that we really wanted to see come to fruition. So you know, I hope that kind of makes it feel to me that's a slightly different thing. You know, I, I don't know if it matters to fans because I I totally understand why fans of Face Off have have a cynicism towards you know a sequel being made later. And, and you know, obviously we went through this with Blair Witch, and Adam experienced it quite a lot. I think on Death Note when the fans don't quite, don't quite want what you wanted as a fan, <laughs> like, you know, and, 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 you know, and that doesn't feel good because I want people to feel good when they pay money to see, you know, uh, our films, you know, on their one night off a week or whatever, you know, you want to reward that experience. You want to deliver what people want and then exceed their expectations and surprise them that way. And, and, you know, I think we learned a lot from Blair Witch is pretty much all I'll, I'll say. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm willing to talk about that more, but I, I'm not going to talk about it unnecessarily if, if people aren't inviting me to do so. Oh, don't worry. Um, we, we, we want, I think we have that on our list to, to get to in a future episode, that and your next, because... Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, like, like with Face Off 2, it really is just like, 
we had a specific vision for what we thought that film should be. And we were able to, to so far convince, you know, producers like Neil Moritz, who's, you know, huge, obviously, to, to trust us. But it took a long time. And, you know, it's not like we just, like, walked in the room and got Face Off 2. It's like we had to really convince people that they wanted Face Off 2, which I'm not sure we've done yet at all. Um, but we're getting there. And, you know, so it's that to me is like a different thing because then, you know, the, the filmmakers are, are at least like, doing it for their reasons, you know, for creative reasons. And, you know, I mean, but I, but I get it, you know, as a fan, I'd be totally pissed off if someone else was doing Face Off too. And, you know, you can kind of spoil the legacy of, of a work with a remake and a sequel, which is something we, we, we as creators try to pretend that's not true. We try to say like, oh, you know, whatever, the original still exists. Like, but it, it but it, but we know secretly that it does, right? Like, like every time you have to say which old boy you prefer, uh, you know, it, it's a bit more of a thing, right? Like, like, like you can't just say, oh, old boy is my favorite movie. You have to say the Korean one, um, you know, <laughs> and, and, and we don't want to do, and we, maybe we're going to do that with, I saw the devil, you know, which there was a lot of cynicism, I think, you know, especially after Blair Witch and people weren't that pleased with us. And we're kind of like, oh, these guys aren't original. It turns out, um, you know, I think, I think people saw us kind of try to play it safe with that film. And, and we're kind of just like, oh, these guys are, are maybe just studio hacks. And I think there was a lot of cynicism towards I Saw the Devil. And I always was just like, yeah, I get it. I'm a big fan of I Saw the Devil. If someone else was doing a US remake, I'd be really cynical and annoyed about it. Uh, it's only because I'm doing it and I know what I'm writing that I think it's a good idea. So I, I, I have a lot of respect to people that are, that are you know, I, I think it's easy to dismiss film fans who are instinctively cynical about remakes and sequels because that's all Hollywood gives them. But I think they have a legitimate critique and I furthermore think they have a legitimate critique of, of fans of the original work, which is if Adam and I make Face Off 2 and we fuck it up completely, that might retroactively make Face Off a little bit less cool for at least a few years. Mm. We can only say we're definitely not gonna do that and, you know, and hope that people trust us. And you know, with Face Off 2, I think like the response was much more positive than I was expecting because I think people were just kind of like, what the fuck, no one was asking for this. So I guess that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like we're doing, you know, just like some like, like straightforward thing. It's, it's, it's a bit more confusing. Um, and you know, same with Thundercats. I think people look at Thundercats and they're like, well, that's not obvious. It's not like that was a project in active development. You know, it's something that Adam's been passionate about his entire life and it's something we've been chasing for a long time. And, and I think that, passion maybe gives people the sense of giving us like a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt but you know i, I have to be really careful because um because you know you're 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 trampling in other people's territory and uh you know you have to really respect that i also have to think that there is this level of so, somewhere some down down the line somebody else is going to do it anyway so let me do it because i kind of know where i think it should go Sure, but no one wants to hear that. And, and, and I mean, to be honest, that is what really made us do Blair Witch is because we were friends with Greg Hale and Eduardo Sanchez coming off VHS 2 and we'd been harassing them about doing a Blair Witch sequel. And then when we found out one was in development or at least Lionsgate had the notion of doing another one, we were just like, it was less that we felt we were the right people to do that and more we didn't want anyone else to do it. And that might in retrospect have been a warning sign. <laughs> um, you know, that we maybe were not, you know, coming at this from the most invigorated creative, invigorated creative place, especially after doing a bunch of found footage horror stuff with the first two VHS movies. Um, yeah, I mean, no one wants to hear that. I mean, it's true. 
but I mean, that's, that's, but also the funny thing is that's not, I can't even claim that for like, I saw the devil or face off two or Thundercats. Cause it's like, we're going out there and generating these things. Like, you know, you see what happens with, I saw the devil when we didn't make it. No one did. Um, so, you know, thanks. Uh, you know, or actually, sorry, you're welcome is what I meant to say. Uh, <laughs> cinema fans. Uh, we, we, we euthanized that one for you, developed that one straight into the grave. So, you know, maybe we'll do that again with something, but the, the, you know, you can never be sure with us. Sometimes we'll get a movie made. So you can't trust us one way or the other. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's tricky. I, 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 I share that like, look, someone else is gonna do this. Wouldn't you rather it be people who love the original? But people would mostly rather you just go off and make a good movie and leave them alone. Yeah. Or more correctly, they'd just rather you make 500 Marvel movies and uh, then that, and then that's just good too. You know, I, since we're really wanting to shine a light on the guest and kind of get more people to see it, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. But as I was rewatching it, I, I kept thinking to myself, based on the story that you wrote and the, the character of David as you knew him, if after one night they said, "Okay, see you later, bye," he probably just would have left and got on and done something else, right? Yeah, he would have found another place to stay. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that was, the, that was the casting challenge of the guest is because um, the guest was very similar to Seance in a lot of ways. In fact, very similar financing from Hanway Films um, who agreed to finance Seance basically because they'd worked with me or agreed to come into co-finance Seance and, and help me put that together because uh, they'd made money off your next and the guest or so probably not a whole lot off the ladder, but they didn't put that much money in. So that was fine. Um, yeah, you know, there initially with the guest, there was kind of, I think, a, a push for us to try to cast someone more like a Jason Statham, um, who was actually at the top of a lot of the agency like casting lists for the film. And, um, you know, Adam said something really smart, I thought in those meetings, which is like, the hurdle of Simon's script is not believing that this guy can kick everyone's ass. The hurdle of the script is believing that a woman would invite him to stay with her and like when she has a teenage son and daughter in the house. That's the hurdle is, is believing that this family would invite him to stay and you have to have an actor who can get you over that hurdle. And Dan Stevens, obviously being, you know, Dan was our top pick from the very start. We more had to convince other people that he made sense commercially, um, which again, then the movie lost a bunch of money. So, you know, he makes sense commercially now, but, you know, but he was coming right off Downton Abbey and welcome on the tombstones then. And, and he wasn't, you know, known in that space. So I think it did feel like a bizarre decision at the time casting him. I think now it makes more sense now that people have seen more of Dan's work and get what kind of an actor he is and, and how funny he is and how talented, you know, you see Legion and Eurovision and stuff. It makes more sense now that, that Matthew Crawley is kind of this chameleon genius actor. But at the time, I think people were just confused. And, and you know, that was, that, was, that was kind of part of it is that I think, um, I think if they said like, no, you know, move along, he just would have found some other place to hide out for a while. He's, he's just waiting to get another surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's just, it's just, you know, the movie tells you pretty clearly what his plan is, um, but it, it tells you it very kind of incidentally because it doesn't really matter to the plot. He's just finding a place to lay low until he can change his face again, um, you know, which that would be a whole other thing about a guest sequel is no one would want to see a guest sequel without Dan playing David, but realistically, David would have probably done something to himself by now um, yeah. if he thinks he's been on camera and such. Um, so he probably wouldn't be looking or talking like David anymore. Uh, at least not that much um so you know so that's that's a whole other thing is you know that i didn't i actually hadn't even thought of that that's a good that's another good reason why i can't do a guest too and 
another wonderful point about this movie and and to a certain extent it kind of happens in seance but as you said seance is kind of the happier version of what i'm about to go into david and anna is something that the chemistry is so well drawn out that it's like you are pushed to a certain point that you want it to happen you want them to get together and i i just love the fact that you you the movie really pushes audiences to the breaking point of okay at what point do i say i can't i can't deal with this guy anymore i can't sanction it and sure enough by the end there's a a couple kills in quick succession that happen even though it's just him trying to stay alive that's kind of i mean is it you know so i believe that the character of david or who goes who's going who's going by the name david in the guest um is so mission oriented that he really is there to kind of fix the kids' lives. And I think he evaluates at a certain point because the guest was really trying to be, and and this is such a boring thing to say now, but you know, with the whole synth wave of it all, we were trying to make an 80s movie. You know, like we premiered the same year as Cold in July at Sundance. We were kind of one of those. And and we at the time we didn't realize we were one of those. We thought we were doing something interesting. But it turns out everyone was thinking the same exact thing as us at the exact same time because we're all basically the same age. Anyway. <laughs> One thing I like about those 80s movies that I feel like a lot of these movies that are imitative of those films get wrong is what made those 80s movies kind of feel so cool to you as a kid is all the adults were idiots and all the kids got what was going on and it felt like being a kid. It felt like the reality of your existence is all these people are idiots and they have no idea like what I'm dealing with and how like, you know, awful everything is and, and you know, and, you know, they're just they're ruining the world. And... You know, I, I think like, I think like that was like something with the Anna character and with David that like I really wanted to kind of show was that the parents are, are useless and Anna is the only one who really gets like, hey, this guy's clearly wrong. Actually, her brother Luke gets it right away too, but he is more like, maybe this is the way things should be. He's having a different kind of life experience at that time. And, you know, the choice that he makes to kill, you know, the adults, um, you know, he could probably get out of those situations, but I think he evaluates that this is their best, this is better for them if these characters are dead. Um, like he, he, he truly does, he gives them everything they need to be like him, basically. Um, you know, he kills their parents and gives them a bunch of weapons. I think he kind of is acting in good faith. Um, and he's carrying out his mission as well as he can with the kind of programming that he has. Um, and so I, I do think there's an interesting, there's a couple different reads on the guest, but that's the most obvious one is that he's acting pretty much in good faith. He just thinks the parents are a problem. Um, but, you know, I mean, he, he's going to kill anyone who jeopardizes his existence, but I think because that's his programming, but within that he has certain loopholes and ways that he can kind of let people get away from him. And I think that's what he's particularly kind of doing with Anna and Luke because he likes them. And I think he is there to help them. He just has a very different approach to that. And he would kill them. He's a, uh, he's a guardian angel, but from hell. Yeah, he, exactly. But he, but he, and he would kill them, you know? So, so I thought that was like a pretty obvious thing, but a lot of people um, have different readings on that. And I, I love, and you know, death of the author, right? Like, I, I mean, Adam and I, like, there's no film by credit, you know, because we're kind of collaborative. And, and you know, I think like, I think whatever people, a lot of people think David might be Caleb, which definitely puts that kind of romantic tension in a weird light. They're the, the family's dead brother. 
um, who's played by producer Chris Harding in a photograph on the mantle. But, um, but you know, like a lot of people have that interpretation, which is very strange and I love, um, but is not what I intended. So, you know, at a certain point as a, as a writer, director, you know, when people start throwing, when people develop the kind of passionate fandom that some people have towards the guests, you learn to start shutting up because all you can do is kind of diminish their affection for it by telling them like what your intentions were, as opposed to all the cool ideas that they have and, and all the cool explanations they have. Um, and you just, you, yeah, you just look, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's why you never make a prequel to fucking anything ever because everyone knows what happened and everyone has an idea of how it got there to begin with. And probably what you're gonna come up with isn't as cool as what they have in their head, you know? Like, right? Like, like I mean, really like prequels, that's why no one likes prequels because the stakes aren't interesting. We know shit got worked out eventually or that these characters are dead, whatever. Um, and, you know, we just kind of figured, we kind of figured this is probably how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. We just pictured it with a little cooler, you know? And, 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 you know, that's, that's the issue with that, you know? So, yeah. So with the guest in particular, people have so many cool theories about who David is and why he's doing what he's doing that uh, like hearing my theories spoken out loud just seems, you know, boring. I'd, I'd rather, at this point, it's the movie is so made um, that I'm probably the last person, you know, to be able to comment knowledgeably on it. Like people should tell me kind of what it is, you know, and what David's doing. Um, Dan Stevens probably, by the way, I, I've never sat there and talked to Dan about any of this because we never, we, we just never really talked about this stuff. We we're just so kind of instinctively on the same page. I would love to hear what he thinks David would do in these situations, you know, because he, he, he understands that character better than I do. So what you're saying is we, I, I think we have to wrap, but what you're saying is what we should do is have another episode about the guest and get you and Dan Stevens on and, and Adam, Adam Wade. And yeah, Micah Monroe, Brennan Myers, like it'll be a total, total nightmare. We'll all talk over each other, um, start shouting. No, I would oh, love that, but I, I do feel like okay. we talked a lot about the guest already. <laughs> so I have no idea. I have no idea if people want to hear about that movie. I, I don't, I really don't know. I, I, I love that people continue to watch it and continue to, uh, you know, care about it. It's incredibly gratifying, um, especially, you know, after years, truthfully, of Adam and I feeling like we just fucked up with that movie and that, like, we thought it was funny and our friends thought it was funny, but no one really liked it. And, you know, now that, like, as soon as it hit Netflix and was, like, number one on Netflix, we were suddenly like, what is happening? Why is everyone asking me for a guest sequel? I have a really good answer for them. You should have seen it in the theaters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no one wants to hear that uh and, and honestly it only opened on like 50 screens so it's not a really it's not a really viable uh thing for me to have a chip on my shoulder about so yeah well even so we wish we could stay and talk about it more but we, we gotta let you go so thank you simon so much for joining us thank you so much this was great thank you and yeah uh please come back we got we got your next blair witch like we'll just yeah but anyway have a good one thank you thank I'll you talk to you later Simon Barrett. Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us. Just like everybody, really appreciate it. Especially just, I, the guest is just something that's, that's stuck with me for years. I think I randomly rented it after watching Your Next because I went to see Your Next on vacation. Hmm. And then I think the guest came out after, even though it was filmed before. I could be wrong on this. So the internet will, you know, check me for, they'll, they'll check, they'll, they'll check me. Well, let them check you because I can't even check you. Honestly, I don't know the answer. But the two films are kind of linked together in this uh, this universe because there's a military contractor known as, I think it's KPG. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So the military contractor in The Guest is 
the company that the father from your next works for, if I remember correctly. Was there any KPG references in, in Seance that we didn't know about? I mean, not that there has to be any kind of military connection in this, but maybe even just the, the, the diamond shape or something, the triangle shape or something, just for the fun of it, and I just wasn't paying attention. We might just have to go back and watch it again. No, uh, speaking of which, what were your thoughts on, I don't know if you want to go with Seance first or the guest, but what are, what are you feeling, Matthew? Well, How I think I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave Seance, you know, we'll talk about that another time in other places, I think, you know. For as, for as much as we want to talk about what we like on this show, I, I don't want to do reviews of new stuff as much as I want to talk about the older stuff. Okay. So I, I think, I think you know, we'll leave Seance for the discussion that we had with Simon for now, if that's okay. But sure. when it comes to the guest, I would say I didn't dislike it, but I was kind of, I don't know, you know, we, we went through a whole talk with Simon about, again, it was a low budget film, we know, but it, that doesn't look like a low budget film. However, for as much, I'll use this as an example. And this is, this is a very poor thing to use as an example. And I, I almost feel weird saying it, but I love Lance Reddick. Every time he's in something, I talk about it. Yes. I'm the type of person that sits there and just like, if nothing's going on, I'll start impersonating him from the wire and stuff. <laughs> and anytime anything tends to go, something goes wrong in life, I'm like, this is bullshit. You know, <laughs> I can't, I can't really yell it right now. I usually do a much more of his lower tone voice, but like it gets to the end of the movie. And again, you know, I'm sure by now people who haven't seen the movie have come back, watched the movie and come back. And he's following him through the, the house of mirrors in the, in, the, in the high school and looking at his face and his eyes, it was just way too over the top. And I know that's, they were kind of going for that, but it just felt so strange that it kind of took me out of it. And I think there was like a point in the film where it hit that and it kept going with it. And I, I, I know what they were doing and I appreciate it. But when it became kind of that cartoonish version with all the guns firing and all the bullets, something kind of deflated for me, you know? That's absolutely fair. And, uh, you know, a, a good point, time to point out that, look, on Overdue Rentals, we're not always going to love what each of what we're both pitching. I mean, I've seen movies on your list that I didn't like, but I'm willing to go back and look at it. Or even if I haven't seen it, I'm willing to watch it because that's what overdue, yeah. that is another overdue rental. It's friends suggesting to friends. And I, and I will also say, and I think we said this, but this, this, this is a great point to make it clear. It may not even be a film I even think is good. I have films on my list that are important to me in my life that are crappy movies. It's just because I was 10 years old and I watched it constantly. And I know it wasn't a good movie, but it has such memories that it like blows up in my mind when I think about it. So I may not even like some of the stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> same here. I mean, that's, that's just the curse of memory. Yeah. But at the same time, that just makes things even more exciting to talk about on this show. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't dislike the guest. I'm just saying, I think that somewhere it fell flat for me. And it is kind of carried by Dan Stevens. And it's just kind of interesting watching him do these things. Um, and, and just like we were talking about with Simon, there's, there are layers there, whether they were intended or not, which I find interesting. Because again, just as we spoke about in the interview, like he makes it clear the character himself that, you know, or maybe it was Lance Reddick who said, you know, like he's just doing out the programming. If he thinks he's been compromised, that's why he's now taking you out. 
So this could have been a short film where they said, oh no, I'm sorry, you gotta go. And like, all right, it's over. Which makes that actually intriguing as a character because he's not just, he is a machine in essence, but in the same breath, there's a lot more to it than just I'm the killing machine. Exactly. And, you know, just the, the entire cast of this film, just the entirety of this film, it's a rocket sled for me. I, I love it from start to finish. The synth wave, the 80s soundtrack, like just the, all of the hallmarks of the Wingert Barrett experience are what keep me coming back to their films. And that's why I'm so glad that they've got Face Off coming up, that Adam Wingert got Godzilla. They're doing Thundercats together. Uh, just Wingert and Barrett, separate or together, I'm there. I don't, and I don't want to get off topic, but I, I will say this, and this has nothing to do with Simon Barrett at this point, and I apologize, but I haven't talked to anybody about it yet, and I keep forgetting, because once Godzilla vs. Kong came out, everybody's posting those memes about the idea that they, may, they make up when they realize you know, Kong has to say, save Mothra. They realize both their mother's names was Mothra, the joke of Batman versus Superman. Excuse me, go back a few years, three or four years to my interview with Adam Wingard for, for Death Note, where I bring that up before he even started pre-production on Godzilla vs. Kong. I made that joke three years ago. You heard it here first, guys. Matthew coins the Mothra joke. And you- Sorry, are actually, I think it was my editor uh, who oh. brought it up, but I, but I brought it up. And I, I just- I want my credit. <laughs> you know what? You deserve that damn credit. We we deserve the credit here for that and for that a wonderful Statham story, which, you know, Jason Statham's the guest would have been totally different and probably, you know, yeah, $60 million and with a BMW. But, you know, that's part of what makes the guest the guest. It's an I, overdue rental that everyone should enjoy and should discover on their own. And it is on Netflix currently. So go... Scratch it off your overdue rentals list. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Mike Reyes. Matthew, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, yes, please find me at Instagram slash salad stash or twitter.com slash stash reviews. Uh, or those are the most places you'll find me, to be honest with you. And you can find me, Mike Reyes, on all three major networks at Mr. Controversy 83. I've just joined TikTok, but I haven't really done anything on it yet. So we'll see. Anyway. Uh, and if you want to find the show, again, Twitter, Rentals Overdue. At Facebook, at Overdue Rentals. Instagram, at Overdue Rentals Show. And if you want to send us an email with your own Overdue Rental, hit us up at OverdueRentals at gmail.com. Yes, email us your ideas for what was going on with, quote unquote, David and the guest. Yes. Guest theories, please, so we can get that sequel never off the ground. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.